stories brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Johnny T, and I'm your guest host for Refuge Freedom Stories today. Today, my guest is Brad Barton. He's the lead pastor at the First Bible Baptist Church in Connecticut. He's a certified individual and family counselor and is gifted to help people find their purpose in Christ. He's also currently active in the mission field in Nigeria. How are you doing today, Brad? Hey, I'm doing great. So you're a lead pastor. You're a missionary. Those things just don't come by chance. You don't just get born and your first word is pastor or missionary. You know what I mean? It's usually apple yeah. or ball, you know? So tell me a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So it goes all the way back to when I was about seven years old and uh, my mom was very much involved in a church in our area. Uh, my dad kind of took off on us and left my mom alone with me and my two sisters. And my mom was really faithful at bringing us to church and getting us involved in church. And I remember on a Sunday night, we were sitting in one of the services and my pastor was preaching on the gospel. It just clicked in my mind. I understood mm -hmm. that it was about Christ and nothing else. And it wasn't about anything that I could do. It was about what Christ had already done for me. So from that moment, I, I went forward and the pastor opened his Bible and he showed me from the word how to receive Jesus Christ as my savior. And really, that was a, a pivotal time in my life. I mean, I remember that night. I remember what the room smelled like. I remember mm -hmm. the color of the carpet. It was so impactful to me. My life was never the same again. From that point, I started witnessing to anybody, as even as a, a seven-year-old, my grandparents, my grandma, my grandpa, neighbors, and my mom just through the years was praying for us and faithful to pray for me and my sisters. And she went on to get married again after my father had left, and her and my stepfather started a mission in Minneapolis called the Chapel of Hope. Oh. And there they really served the underserved community of Minneapolis. Is actually just a couple blocks away from where George Floyd was killed uh, wow. last year. And that whole area is destroyed now. But back in the day, they used that as a platform to serve the homeless, to serve the drug addicted, and they would have food and clothing. And it was like a homeless shelter. But they mm -hmm. would use that also as a way to present the gospel to people and just show the love of Christ. So we saw many people get saved over the years from that. Growing up in that environment really instilled a passion for the power of the gospel to change people's lives because mm -hmm. I saw it every week growing up. There'd be somebody who'd get saved and their life would be radically transformed out of some horrible situation. So to see that over and over, it never got old and it just instilled something in me that never went away. And I drifted away from the Lord for a long time. I would say from the time I was about 15, 16 years old, I really didn't want to have anything to do with church. I really didn't want to have anything to do with God. I kind of went away like the prodigal son and did my own thing. But I'll tell you what, God, when he called me back, it was just like the story in the Bible. I mean, just like that father waiting for his son to come home, God was waiting there to embrace me. The, the minute I had come to myself, just like the prodigal son, wanted to come back home and through this process, read the story of the prodigal son. And it just sparked something in my mind like, you can go back. And I remember that part in that scripture where the, the son just says to himself, 
I'm no more worthy to be called my father's son. I'll go back just as a servant. And that's really how I felt going back to the Lord. It's like, Lord, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I know that you saved me, but I don't deserve anything. I'm just going to come back and serve you. And, and I literally just started cleaning bathrooms at the church me and my wife were going to and just doing things like that. Mm-hmm. And it really grew into a passion to preach the word and disciple people and help other people. Uh, help people find their purpose, like I had found mine, and minister to people and help the word, the power of the word change people's lives like I had seen when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And from there, God just grew the whole thing to where uh, I ended up starting a church in Minnesota. And then after about 15 years of doing that, I transferred out here to Connecticut to take a church from a pastor friend of mine who was retiring. And so that's how I ended up in Connecticut. I can guarantee that every single day that you were away from the Lord, your mom was praying for you. Yeah, absolutely. There was a song I heard just recently, and it's called Mama Prayed. And I can't remember (laughs) who sang it, but it talks exactly about that. We can turn our backs on God for for many, many reasons, right? right? Whether it's things that we grew up with or situations we were in or something that happened in the church, right? You know, whatever it may be. And for whatever reason, the enemy will get that hook in our mind and our spirit and say, you know what? It's not real. It's not whatever. And just lie to us. And and sometimes we believe it. And, and most you know times, hopefully people don't. Right. But, but people need to know that God is always there. He's That's always right. waiting with open arms to bring us back. Exactly always. Right. He just loves us so much. Just like that father and his son, you know, mm. just a beautiful story. I remember when I read that for the first time coming back to the Lord, I just started to weep when I read that. In fact, I, I, I still have the Bible that I was reading and the, the pages are tear-stained there. That's not an exaggeration. I started to weep when I read that story. I mean, I had thought that I went too far and I had thought that I had done things that God would never forgive. Mm -hmm. And to just understand from God's word, you can come back anytime you want. That was powerful to me. That was really powerful. So he established you as a pastor and obviously, you know, with that passion of what God can do in a person's life. So how did that lead you into the mission feeling? Let me start here. And the the mission work that you're referring to is the work that we do in northern Nigeria and predominantly who we serve there. They're called Fulani and they're indigenous people. They're a lot like the Native Americans are here in North America. So they're about 95% Muslim. They live and operate mostly in northern Nigeria. And if you hear about the persecution that's going on in northern Nigeria right now, it's one of three groups. It's either ISIS or Boko Haram, or it's the Fulani Muslim. So it's extremely dangerous. This year already, there's been 3,200 Christians that have been killed in the areas that we operate in. This has been the bloodiest year that we've seen in a long, long time over there. So I say all of that kind of just to set the stage. You know, you get this glamorous view of missions. It's not like that at all in northern Nigeria. It's one of the most dangerous places for a Christian to be. And the Fulani who is who the Lord really laid on my heart. But let me just tell you how that happened, because it's, it's, it's a bit of a process that God had to bring me through to really bring me to that place. I was a happy pastor with a nice office in Connecticut. I had just been called to a bigger church in Connecticut than the one that we were from. So my life was great. It was comfortable. 
about two years after arriving in Connecticut, the Lord struck me down with a very serious illness. And I ended up spending a little over a month in the intensive care unit uh, here at Hartford in in Connecticut. And I got to tell you that something really transformative happened during that time. It was really nothing short of, of a miracle. It was a time when God used that. He took all of my strength. He took everything that I had in me. He took it away from me. And I was really just a shell laying there. And while I was laying there for a little over a month, the Lord began to minister to me. And he began to speak to me and teach me things about him and Mm. teach me things about me. Now, the reason I say that is, is because up until that point, I had always been a very, I guess you'd say a self-sufficient, independent Christian. Mm -hmm. And independency for a Christian is a bad thing to be because we're supposed to be dependent on the Lord. And and I kind of realized that, you know, most of my ministry had been done in my own power and in my own strength. And so what God was doing was using this illness to take everything from me, all of my strength, so that I had nothing left and really teach me that I needed to start ministering and preaching and and really living the Christian life, not in my own strength, but in his strength, him doing it through me instead of me doing it for him, yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit and allowing his spirit to work through me and in me and empower me to do what he's called me to do. And so God started teaching me those things while I was in the hospital. And the fact, as I started getting better, I I started to grieve the fact that I was getting better because I knew that if I got better, (laughs) I would would be pulled away from this closeness that I was experiencing with the Lord. Right. Apart from my salvation, I have never experienced anything transformative like this. It was really a work of grace of God in my life. It was powerful. It was impactful. That moment Mm -hmm. was transformative. And I came out of the hospital completely changed in the way that I look at God, in the way that I interacted with God, the way that I read the Bible, the way that I ministered to people. It was completely different. I now knew that what my strength looked like and what Mm -hmm. his strength looked like. And that changed me. Mm -hmm. And so God began to do a work in me over the course of maybe a couple of years after that, I had the opportunity to help a church that I knew the pastor there in Southern Nigeria. Southern Nigeria is mostly Christian. And so he was experiencing quite a bit of a revival. He was seeing a thousand, two thousand people coming to faith in Christ. And he was preaching the gospel at universities around his area where he was. He called me. He said, is there any way that you can help? us. We don't have anywhere to disciple them. We don't have anywhere to call them together to worship. What can you do? So I went to my church the following Sunday and I said, listen, here's what's going on. There's people getting saved, thousands of people getting saved. They don't have anywhere to put them. And so I posed to my church, I said, could we take an offering to build a building? And so we took the offering after that morning service. And by the evening service, we had enough money to build the entire building in Southern Nigeria. So we sent the funds over there. And about a year later, after the 
the construction was done, I was scheduled to go over there and be part of the open house for this church. So I was going to fly into Lagos. Lagos is in southern Nigeria. It's safe down there. It's nice. Yeah. You know, there's not yeah. a lot of persecution that happens. There's some. And so flying into Lagos is, is really almost like a vacation area. I went to go book the ticket and something really amazing happened because I had spent so much time, the Lord talking to me as I was laying in the hospital, going back to that story, I became very familiar with what all I know to refer to it as is the voice of God. And being able to recognize a voice takes time of being around that voice and getting to know that voice. So in the hospital was that time when I really became familiar with the voice of God. And so as I sat down at my computer to purchase my ticket to go to Lagos to visit my pastor friend, I heard that voice that I heard in the hospital. And oddly enough, the voice said, I don't want you to go to Lagos. I want you to go to Abuja. Abuja is in the far north. I know I don't know anybody in Abuja. I have no contacts there. If I were to purchase that ticket, I would literally land in Abuja, one of the most dangerous places in the world. I would have no contact. I had nowhere to stay, nowhere to go. But here's the thing, Johnny, is I knew that voice. And I knew that was the voice of God telling me to do that. And I wish I could say that I always had the faith to act this way because I don't always. But in this particular case, I did. Yeah. And I, out of blind faith, that's literally what it was. I purchased a ticket for Abuja mm-hmm. instead of Lagos. I called my pastor friend down in the South and he said, so when are you coming? I said, well, I first have to go to Abuja and then I'll swing (laughs) down. And uh, he said, are you crazy? He said, who do you know in Abuja? And I said, I don't know anybody in Abuja. He said, what are you going to do when you get there? And I said, I don't know. I'm just going to follow the leading of the Lord as he leads me. You know, like Psalm says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yeah. He doesn't say it's a it's a torch that shows the whole path. He just That's says right. sometimes it just illuminates our feet. So step by step, I, I, I made my way. And before the time came when I was supposed to leave, honestly, I was kind of sweating. Like, did I make the right decision? I know that was the voice, but I don't know anybody. I don't have anything set up. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I started to do a little research on Northern Nigeria, and I found out about uh, IDP camps. It stands for Internally Displaced Persons. There's about 2 million people in Nigeria who've been displaced by Boko Haram, ISIS, and the Fulani. So I thought maybe I was supposed to go there and start a ministry to reach the IDP camps uh, with all these people who are suffering, and I just didn't know. So I was reading an article, and it was written by a Nigerian who lived in Washington. Washington, D.C. So I emailed him and I said, hey, I'm interested in IDP camps. Uh, That's what his article was about. Can you call me back so we can talk about it? I left my number. He called me within about 15 minutes, surprisingly enough. And uh, he said, so you want to know about IDP camps? And I said, yeah, tell me about them. And and this whole thing is like me trying to find out what I'm supposed to be doing in in Abuja to begin with. Mm -hmm. He, He told me a lot about it. And he said, well, if you ever find yourself in Nigeria, he said, look me up. And he said, I travel back and forth from D.C. to Nigeria. And he said, maybe we could meet up and go from there. And I said, well, I said, it's strange that you mentioned that. I said, in about two weeks, I'm supposed to be in Nigeria. And he said, uh, well, where are you going? And I said, I'm, I'm going to Abuja. He said, you know, Abuja is not the safest place in the world. And I said, yeah, I, I know, I know. 
I heard that before. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He said, I said, it's just kind of a step of faith. He said, well, you won't believe this, but he said in two weeks, I'm supposed to be in Abuja. We looked at our flights and his flight landed about two hours before my flight. did. Wow. And I knew right then I knew it. I knew this is it. I'm supposed to, this was like a faith booster to me. Like it was like God injected me with faith at that moment because it was like, wow, this is real. This is happening. Yeah. So I flew in, I landed and uh, we met at the Transcore Hilton in Abuja. We were supposed to have breakfast there and then go out possibly to some IDP camps. So when I get there, his flight came in before mine did. So I was a little late to the breakfast. He was sitting there with the Muslim man and come to find out the man he's sitting with, he's like a member of parliament in Nigeria. Hmm. And he's the chairman of the IDP camp committee in their parliament. And I thought, wow, this, he really pulled out all the stops. This is amazing. (laughs) So after we ate and got to know each other, the other guy stood up and, and he had to get going to a meeting. And I said, wow, that was really cool that you invited him to be part of our meeting today. Thank you for that. He said, you know, he said, I didn't invite him. He said, I was walking through the uh, rotunda of the Hilton there in Abuja. And he said, I had met him once before. I saw him walking through the rotunda. I flagged him down, asked him if he wanted to sit down for breakfast with us. That's how he ended up there. So all (laughs) along the way, God was just leading us step after step. So he says, well, let's go out to an IDP camp. So we drove out into the bush, you know, hours and hours As we were going out to an IDP camp, shortly before we got there, I looked off into the bush and I saw like some huts off in the distance and a fire. I said, what is that? And he said, well, that's a Fulani camp. And he said, we don't touch the Fulani. We don't mess with them. They're very dangerous, very violent towards Christians. So we keep our distance. I thought, okay. And by this time, we're traveling with a driver, a translator. We had picked a couple people up along the way. And so we get out to the IDP camp and the conditions are horrible. I mean, there's people die by the hundreds every day in some of these camps. So it's it's very horrible conditions, starvation, a lack of water, lack of medical care. I mean, all the horrible things you could imagine in a refugee camp in northern Nigeria. So as we were there, we ministered to people and and just prayed with people, helped people as best as we can. We brought some food with us and some water as well. The Lord didn't really do anything. I mean, I really thought we'd walk into that IDP camp and there would be like this great shining light and it would be like, oh, there's there's my purpose. This is what I'm supposed to do. I was a little disappointed and, and kind of freaked out that nothing happened at that IDP camp because I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do now? So on the way back out of the IDP camp, the Fulani community or village is now on my right hand side. And as I'm looking at the huts off in the distance, I mean, almost on the horizon, all of a sudden I heard that voice again. And the voice told me, I want you to go to those Fulani. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, yeah, but they're, they're Muslims. Like, (laughs) I'm a Midwest guy from Minnesota. You know, this is way beyond me. I've got nothing in common with these people, like no connection whatsoever. And the Lord said, I want you to go. You are supposed to go. I felt so impressed in my spirit that that was the voice of God and that I was supposed to go. Like, I almost felt like for such a time as this. So Mm I told the guys I was with, I I just got a message, a word from the Lord that we're supposed to go and visit that Fulani village. They all started laughing. They were like, you're kidding. No way. This is impossible. We're not going. He said, we wouldn't even go. Nigerians don't even go there. 
there's no way you could go there. And he said, anyway, you have to be invited by the chief in order to even set foot on their land. So there's no possibility, no way that you are going to that village. I said, listen, I said, I feel so strongly about this. I feel so convicted by this that either you guys drive me there or drop me off and I'll find my own way. And they really, I think, got a sense for the seriousness of my conviction of it. And they said, well, you know, there's a guy that we know who has contacted that Fulani village before. Let's get hold of him, see if there's any possibility, any open door that happens, and we'll go from there. So I got word a little bit later that day that they had asked the chief if I could go there. They recalled me and he said, you won't believe this. He said, I don't even believe this. But he said, I don't know how it happened. I don't know what happened. But he said, you have an invite to go to that village and greet the chief and talk with him. And he said, they want you to come out not the next day, but the following day. So I had a one day break in there. And so I just how cool spent that, is that? Yeah. So I just <laughs> spent that whole day praying, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And, and I didn't really get a direction from the Lord. And so the next morning came, we woke up early in the morning, you know, four o'clock in the morning. It's a long drive. And so we start driving out into the bush and hours and hours and hours of driving. Finally, we get out there. You, know, you can see the road that leads to the village. And as we're driving that road, the final stretch, I said, Lord, I have no idea what to say to them. I don't speak the same language. We're from an entirely different culture. We have nothing in common. I'm Christian. They're Muslim. I mean, this couldn't be more backward, right? It couldn't be more set up for failure. And to be honest with you, there's 10,000 better people that God could have called to do this. But for some reason, I found myself there at the right time in the right place. Again, I heard that voice. The Lord really teaching me to rely on that voice and really walk by faith. The voice said just simply this, love their children. And then I felt him, him say, they can't hate you if you love their children. So I thought, okay, that's what I got. So we pulled into the village and the guys came out. They were armed. They used machetes and AK-47s. The chief came out and greeted the chief, did some small talk through a translator with some of them. They were very intense people. I was nervous. They could sense that from me. I got out and I thought, okay, this isn't going the way I thought. And you have to understand, like driving into that village, I literally didn't know if I was coming back out of that village. I didn't, who knows, maybe they're there to ambush me. I don't know. So I saw some of the children hiding behind one of their huts and they were peeking around the corner. There was about maybe 15 or 20 of them. They were just staring at me, you know? So I walked over to them and the chief and the elders were kind of meeting with some of the people that we had, some of the Nigerians that we had brought in, they were still talking. So I snuck away and started talking to the kids. And so I pulled out my cell phone and I started to take videos of them doing funny things. And they had never seen anything like that before. So they loved to see themselves on the screen. So I did that for maybe about 45 minutes, played with them. And they took maybe about 20, 25 videos. 
And the chief came over and he was very stern. And the translator came over and translated and says, the chief is upset. He wants to know what you're doing with the kids. And, you know, I was nervous. I pulled my cell phone out. There was 20, 25 videos on my cell phone of them. I just touched a random video and I played the video for him. And all of a sudden his countenance just fell mm. and he started laughing, like belly laughing, like he couldn't <laughs> stop laughing. And so the translator told me, he said, you don't know this, but the video that you clicked on, again, just a random video, those were his two granddaughters in wow. that video. And I had no way of knowing that. No, so again, no. it was just the Lord leading, you know, even, even my fingertips as I touched a random video. From that moment on, the chief and I were bonded. Mm. God had taken our hearts and just knit us together. He took me from that day and I never left his side. And we became great friends. We had a lot of like in-depth conversations and things. He said to me, my people don't know love. He said, I can see in your eyes, you know love. And he said, you've come here and shown us unconditional love. And, you know, that was one of the greatest compliments I've ever been given because the Bible says that they will know that we are followers of Christ by our love. And he said, I want you to come back, uh, not the next day, but the following day, come back and, and speak to my whole community. And I said, what should I say? He said, I'm giving you permission to say whatever you want. We showed up the day after the following day. And so he got up and gave an introduction and said some words. And so he called me up and he said, you know, speak to the community. I really knew at that moment that I was supposed to give my testimony about what Christ did in my life. You're standing in front of five or 600 Fulani Muslims in northern Nigeria. You know that they do violence against Christians. And God at that moment has called you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. I, I was I was nervous. I was very scared, in fact. I began to give my testimony in front of all of them and just told them how Jesus Christ, through his power and his death, burial, and resurrection, my sins had been washed away and been forgiven by God. And through his resurrection, I now have power to live in newness of life. And I have hope in his return. And you could tell there were some that were very tense about it. They, they were not receptive. But you could also tell that there were some there who were receptive. When I was done... Chief gets up and I'll never forget what he said. He said, we've been praying to Allah for years that Allah would bring us help. He said, here comes this man from the United States. He gives us help with water and medicine. Who are we to say that Allah didn't send him to help us, but also to deliver this message about Jesus? But that day, 13 Fulani Muslims came to faith in Christ. So all in all, over the last uh, three and a half years, uh, we've seen around 3,500 uh, Muslims come to faith in Jesus Christ wow. and by us uh, reaching these villages. What one thought would you want our audience to be left with? What would you want our audience to know about God? Fear of failure keeps us from walking in faith. And... I have seen when I was a little kid, God do some amazing things in people's lives. And now that I'm an older pastor, I've seen God do amazing things in an impossible situation. So I guess the takeaway from this is God can do anything. God can do the impossible. It's our fear that stops us from walking in that faith. So don't fear failure. Just walk in faith.
Just do what God has told you to get Get familiar with the voice of God and do what that voice tells you to do. Do what God calls you to do. And you will see amazing things happen. Yeah, that's great. So thanks very much for being with us today. If anybody wants to find out more about your work in Nigeria, where can they go? They can go to www.acrossnigeria.org. Awesome. I hope we can have you back again in the future to hear more about the things that God's doing in your area of ministry. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you, Johnny. I appreciate the time and it's been great talking with you. Yeah. God bless. Likewise. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. That Jesus Christ is born Shepherds kept their watching Or silent flocks by night I hope that you have enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.